As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. It gives you different perspective in life and it really should be a mandatory thing that people do at least once just to gain that perspective of, oh, well, really, if I'm upset about the small stuff, I must think I'm going to live forever. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now, I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Co-host on Follow Along Fridays, Mr. Theo Hicks. Hello. How's it going, Theo? It's going well. Today we've got a lot of miscellaneous topics do. to talk about. Again, if you're watching via Facebook Live, then you can comment below and we'll get to your question either 
today or next week when we do next week's episode because we got a lot of stuff going on for today's episode. Some questions, one mm-hmm. question in particular one from question. a guest that we wanted to address, and let's roll. So how do you want to structure it, my friend? So let's start talking about a couple of things you've got going on in your life, both both business and personal. And the first one is the Bigger Pockets podcast. Yeah, yeah. I was interviewed last week for it, and May 18th, the episode is going live on the Bigger Pockets podcast. It'll be the first time I was interviewed on that podcast, so check that out when it goes live. Of course, you know what Bigger Pockets is. If you don't, then go to biggerpockets.com. It's an incredible resource that you can use. It's basically the world's largest real estate investor blog mm-hmm. and lots of free content that you can get up and running with real estate investing. So go check that out, biggerpockets.com. And then May 18th, make sure you subscribe to Bigger Pockets podcast and listen to that interview. I talk about how I got $30,000 as a junior project manager at an advertising agency in New York to now $130 plus million worth of real estate. And we go in deep in a lot of areas that I haven't gone deep in before in interviews. So um, go check that out, May 18th. Yeah, congratulations, man. It's impressive. Yeah, it's good stuff. A couple other things that you wanted to mention. You got YPO and then and volunteering. Yeah, so YPO, Young Presidents Organization. I read the book. I'm going to butcher the title, but something like 30 Mistakes Millionaires Have Made. Mm -hmm. And I read it in 36 hours. The author of that book was in YPO, and that really introduced me to it. I'd heard about it before, and I'd been looking for something in Cincinnati to join that was entrepreneurs and high-achieving individuals, kind of like a mastermind or something. And this looks like it for sure. So I mention that because if any best ever listener is in YPO and has any feedback, then would love to hear it. Info at JoeFairless.com, just to get your perspective on being a member of YPO. That's something that I'm very much looking forward to participating in, and we'll keep you posted on any progress on that. And volunteering is the other part it's just today and yesterday, I woke up in really grumpy moods, mm. and there's no legitimate reason for me to be grumpy. And one thing that helps ground me in perspective is volunteering. Mm-hmm. So if you find yourself waking up in a grumpy mood, or being a jerk when you shouldn't be a jerk, or just feeling sorry for yourself or not grateful, then the solution for me is volunteering. Specifically, I just started volunteering for a hospice. And earlier today, I won't get into any details about the individual because you just can't, nor should you. But going to hospice and interacting and engaging with someone who doctors say is going to die within six months, it's just a different experience. It gives you different perspective in life. And it really should be a mandatory thing that people do at least once just to gain that perspective of, oh, well, really, if I'm upset about the small stuff, I must think I'm going to live forever. Because people who get upset about small stuff think they're going to live forever. And we not. We're all going to die around this earth for a very short amount of time, and we have to help others along the way as we go. So that's one tip that I have if you ever find yourself in a rut 
then go volunteer. It'll give you different perspective on things. I actually plan on doing a podcast on the exact topic you're talking about because this past weekend was my birthday. And I was sitting Happy there, birthday. Thank you. <laughs> and, I, and I was sitting there kind of thinking about it. I was like, oh, it's very strange that I only celebrate my birth, my life, like once a year. I was just thinking about just the concept of birthdays. And something I thought about, and it was my buddy, we were talking about it. And he said that he looks at birthdays as the day that he won the lottery. Because if you think about it, the probability of us being even being, I think Gary Vaynerchuk, I listened to a podcast of him, and he calculated it out. It's like 400 trillion to one odds of you being a human being just in general. Not only are you a human being, but you're also in America, which is like the top 0.01% of people who's ever lived, period. So essentially, if you're in America, you've won insane, you can't even really call it a lottery ticket because it's yeah. even less odds than actually winning the lottery. Mm. It's another way to feel grateful. And again, I fall in the same boat as you. I wake up grumpy and I have no reason to. And that insight about how if you get mad about small things, you think that you're invincible and like going to live forever. It's a very interesting insight, but I want to just toss that in there. Another way to kind of go about finding ways to express gratitude. And you can really use it about for literally anything because you're an American and you're alive in this time. One of the most impressive things that inspires me is when I talk to someone who came to this country not knowing the language and achieved success however they define success. Because mm-hmm. my definition of success most recently, because I was thinking about this, is maximizing your special talent during your time on Earth. That's success. Because we're all specially talented at least one thing, but usually maybe one thing, if you're really lucky too. But if you maximize your special talent while you're on Earth, then I believe through maximization of that special talent that you were given, you're going to do good things. Mm -hmm. So when people come to this country and they don't know the language and they do achieve success, I find that incredibly inspiring because... There are people here who do know the language and have a network built in and don't achieve the same level for various reasons. So Yeah, um, and I think like four out of the five, or however many of those like exclusive video interviews you've done so far, I think most of them were immigrants. I know the one that posted this week was, I think two other ones were, one was from Ireland, someone else was from England. And that made those, the people that achieved massive levels of success were even from Yeah, one of them was from Mexico. Mexico, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And you're referring to, you said the exclusive interviews, you're referring to the ones that we've uploaded on YouTube yeah. that have been the video interviews. So you can go to the YouTube channel. What do you search for on YouTube? By the if you search best ever show. Best ever show on YouTube, then you can see the video interviews that I did. Okay. Investor tour, if you wanted to... Investor tour, yeah, this is a way, if you have investors or want to have investors and just want to learn best practices or just want to have really good customer service in general, I want to talk about what happened recently when I had two of my investors say, hey, Joe, I'd like to go check out these properties that we've invested in. They've invested in about four or five of my properties, and... I was like, I love that because unless an investor is local, they usually don't, in fact, maybe there's been one person who's actually flown to the property Mm -hmm. and looked at it prior or even afterwards, just because they're passive investors and you trust us to do the work and make sure everything checks out, which you should. But it's also nice to show off our work. Mm -hmm. And I really like it when investors say, hey, Joe, I'd like to go check out the properties. Great. Love to set you up a tour. And 
I believe if someone else would have received that email from their investor, like, hey, so-and-so, I'd like to go tour these properties, that person would say, okay, great, yeah, here are the properties, let me know the dates you'll be there, and here are the point people, enjoy it, let me know how it goes. The next level that I took it, and this isn't to brag, this is just something that the investors complimented me on, and I recognized that I did go above and beyond, and I do try and do this stuff mm-hmm. in all aspects of my business, and so that's why I wanted to mention the example. Instead of just doing the normal approach, what I did is I scheduled the tour. So we have properties in Dallas and in Fort Worth, and I said, okay, when are you arriving and when are you leaving? Now I have the time frames in which I can schedule stuff. So I, I said, if you're arriving in Dallas, you should go to these properties on this day. Here are the time slots that I've scheduled you for. And then I recommend going to Fort Worth on this day, checking out the stockyards. Here's a link to the stockyards where you can stay. And here's a time slot for that property. And I put together a PDF with what they'll be able to see, which is basically whatever they wanted. What they wanted to see was renovated units, non-renovated units, walk the property, and anything else. So I said, here's what the team is expecting to show you. Mm -hmm. And here's the time they'll be waiting for you. Here's the person's name who will be waiting for you. Here's their title. Here's the company that they work at. Here is their LinkedIn bio. Wow. I went on LinkedIn and I got the bio. I linked it, pun intended, linked it on there. So they could have one page, know exactly where they're going, where they're supposed to be, who they're meeting with, the phone number, the email of that contact person, and have a LinkedIn bio so they can research that contact person if they choose to do so. I sent that to them. They're like, Joe, you're awesome. That was literally the email that got sent back. And that's the type of stuff that you want to do if you're going to build a portfolio in a relatively short amount of time is go above and beyond and do things that are outstanding. It's just a little bit extra. I, I would say what I just described is great, but the outstanding part would be the LinkedIn bio. Not a lot of people would think, oh, well, maybe they want to know who they're going to be meeting with. Maybe they want to see a picture of that person so they can recognize them and then they walk up. So think through things from the perspective of the person receiving the information or asking for the information. Think through what do they really want and then what would they perhaps want on top of that. And then proactively provide that. And we were just talking about this... Ten minutes ago, before we started recording, we're doing investor emails for our monthly reports. And when we're putting together the emails, we not only write in what is happening at the property, but we also look at that afterwards and we're thinking, okay, what questions might come up as a result of reading this? And then we proactively address those questions in the same email. Mm -hmm. One, to limit the back and forth and the insanity of replying to hundreds of emails from investors, but then two, to save the investor time, Mm -hmm. because if a question naturally comes up when you read something, then they're going to want to email and take time out of their day to then reply to us, and it's not a good use of their time either, because we should have addressed it in the first place. So that's the type of stuff that we've got to do if we're going to build businesses in the long run and do outstanding work instead of just good or great work. Yeah, another example that comes to mind of the exact kinds that you're talking about was your interview with Mauricio. I can't remember what his 
what his last name is, but he's a real estate agent in Los Angeles. He's one of the, the videos that yeah. we watch. I think his business, so his company, controls 70% of the market share in Los Angeles, which is... 17, right? 17%. 17%. 1-7. Which, yep. which, which is still impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. But one of the examples... And in terms of he's a brokerage. Yeah, he's a brokerage. Yeah. He's got, a, uh, I think, 158 agents under him. But he was telling a story about how he had the listing for the Playboy Mansion, which I thought was kind of yep. was interesting, and how he sold it for over $100 million. And you asked him, which is an obvious question, is how did you get that listing? Because I'm sure everyone wanted that listing. And what he said is he did essentially what you did. He proactively acted as if he already had a listing and went to the, I guess, whatever that whatever it's called when you go and you compete for the listing. He went there with, like, everything completely done. He thought, like, it, he, he, thought he already, he assumed that he already had it. He assumed that he already had the deal and he had all the marketing packages done exactly step-by-step step what he would do to sell the property. And they were, like, they were so blown away that he got more of the deal and sold it for $100 million. And I'm sure he got a pretty nice commission check on that. So it's kind of the same thing, that the whole being proactive and... Yeah, I'm sure that might have taken some more effort, but it might have taken maybe half a day or a day to do. But you get, <laughs> yeah, was that three point five million dollar commission and three point five percent? I think it's worth half a day of work or yeah. a week of work or even a year of work. Yeah, in that sense, so I thought that was something else that kind of paralleled what you were talking about, just being proactive and thinking ahead of time of what do they want to see and then what would blow them away if I did this and then mm-hmm. doing all of that for that person. That's a great example. And when I asked them that. He answered it in a way that it was like, oh, well, I just had all my stuff put together. He's like, hey, yeah, Joe, you dumbass, of course, that's just what I did. It's like, yeah. it's like it, it was obvious to me the way he responded that that's how he approaches a lot of things. That's my point. It was like, oh, yeah, well, I had it all prepared, and I went in with it assuming that I already had it. And I was like, well, here's, let's just push the green button, and let's make this thing happen. Let's go. It's already set up. You're acting as though you already have it. And there's a lot of power in that. One, there's a lot of confidence. So people see that, hey, you know what you're doing, you're confident. And two, you've already got the plan laid out. So there's less ambiguity. And it's good to have certainty when you're trying to select options. And it gives a selector more certainty in that. Yeah, great example. I'm glad you mentioned that. I can't think of a segue, so we'll just jump into it. Half marathon experience. You wanted to talk about... Yeah, half marathon experience. Colleen and I ran a half marathon last Sunday. It's called the Flying Pig in Cincinnati. Very popular race in Cincinnati. Yes, and I will never do a half marathon again. (laughs) I will certainly never do a marathon again. When we were training, you're supposed to train leading up to the race where you, I think you run up to 12 miles at one point on a Saturday. Well, we've been traveling so frequently. My bachelor party one weekend in New Orleans didn't run then. Yeah. Went to Miami to meet with investors, didn't run then. Went to Vegas for March Madness, didn't run then. So we missed all of the long running days, except for one, there was an 11 mile run, and we ran seven of them and walked the remaining four miles. So I have never run in my life 13 miles. The most I've run was about 8 miles. We finished. We finished the marathon. We walked our half marathon. We did not, well, at mile 4 we stopped to pee. Okay. And then after that we ran. So we did not walk at any point other than to walk to the porta potty and back into the race. Mm -hmm. And what I recognize is that the first 11 miles of the race, it was all mental. Mile 7 and 8 was the hardest for me because I thought we were on 8 and then I saw the mile marker coming up and it was 7. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) But there are a couple mental things that I picked up on along the way and that's what I wanted to share. 
One is that there's all sorts of signage of people. I, that's one of the fun things about doing a half marathon or, mar- or a marathon, I imagine. There's people cheering, signs and stuff, like, go you. But the sign that resonated with me the most was one that said, you are no longer a runner, you are a marathon runner. Because the strongest force in human nature is the one where whatever we identify ourselves as being, that's how we act. And when I read that sign, this was on like mile two, thank goodness. So I read that sign, I was like, yeah, I am a half marathon runner. I'm not a runner, I'm a half marathon runner. I started acting like a half marathon runner. And I felt stronger mm-hmm. at that point. The second thing I want to mention is... I have a incantation that I have done over the last year or two, and it's, I'm a strong, confident, successful, and handsome real estate billionaire entrepreneur. I said that freaking thing 10,000 times, perhaps literally, <laughs> during this race. And I was just saying it over and over, and it was pretty cool because I felt pretty powerful when I was saying it. And then the last two miles were physical. Last two is just, hey, my legs were falling out from under me and cramping, and I thought my hamstring was going to fall down on the ground next to me. And I recognize that the parallel with business and what we do as entrepreneurs. In the entire race of whatever we accomplish, it really is in 80% or 90% mental and getting your mind right and making sure that we're approaching things correctly. And then... 20% or 15%, whatever, of the mechanics and making sure that you physically can get the stuff done. And Tim Ferriss recently interviewed a guy on running, and so interesting. If all the sports were in a pool, then everyone would learn how to swim better, right? If every single sport, baseball, football, was in a pool... One of the things that people would do is they teach their kids how to swim better. Well, they're not all in the pool, but 90% of sports require you to run. Mm -hmm. But yet we don't teach our kids or ourselves how to run better. We just, hey, go run. It was really interesting because there's parallels to business as well. What is it about what we do is the foundation of it all, and that's the psychology aspects of it. And then there's some mechanics, but the psychology is the majority of what we do. So we really got to work on our psychology a lot more than what we think we need to, and oh, then yeah. the mechanics after that. Yeah, it's like your brain and the analogy is the pool or the yeah. field. Yeah. And instead of just... Yeah, and that's something I think about a lot. I'm just like, man, we just... There's all these different trainings and manuals. We do all these textbooks about history and all that stuff growing up in school. But no one ever teaches us how to like just be a human being at all. I mean, in my school, they didn't teach you that. Or how to think. Really, psychology at all, which is something that every single person has in common. Just like kind of the pool analogy. I just think most people don't even think about it. Because I didn't think about it for the longest time either. I just assumed that since I was alive and I was functioning relatively well, I just knew exactly what I was doing. And I realized, wait a minute, there's a whole other aspect of reality. I'm not really paying attention to it all, which is like my mind. And so, I mean, I know we talk about like, meditating and 10 percent happier, that book. So, yeah, it all comes together. But, no, I think that's a really good analogy, the pool analogy. And then, I would say running is... I've never ran more than three miles. Three? Yeah. Oh. And we are talking about beforehand. I'm, I'm doing this, this interesting run where we... The six-person team, when you run from... I think it's Cincinnati to Dayton. And right now, my girlfriend trying to convince and me And how many hours is that, that driving? An hour and a half, probably, driving? 
It's about an hour, because I used to work at Dayton. It's about an hour drive, and so it's 76 miles total. And six people, so on average about like six a, or 11 or, or so. Yeah, 11 miles-ish. But yeah. Some people do longer, some people do shorter. And you don't have to run fast, but I mean, I'm sure I'm going to run into the same issues that you, know, you ran into that I've never ran that long before ever. But if I do it, I'll come back and I'll have some analogies as well, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a growth experience. I'll never do it again. No, I, don't, I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. That's funny. Okay, so I wanted to also discuss something interesting that one of your podcast guests, Sam Ovens, said last, I believe that it was at least on Sunday. And essentially his podcast, he outlined the five steps to create a million-dollar consulting program. He's a consulting coach, and so he's taught multiple people how to create million-dollar consulting firms and hundreds of people how to create a $600,000, or $600,000, six-figure firms. He went to the steps, and the first step I thought was interesting. It really resonated with me, and I wanted to share it with the best of our listeners, and essentially applied to real estate in general, especially for new people. But he was talking about how to pick your niche and what you're going to actually create your consulting business in. You know, for us, we would do it in real estate investing, but obviously you wouldn't just be real estate investing in general. You pick something specific, like maybe a large apartment syndication consulting program. Someone else might have a fix and flip one. When you're first starting out, there's kind of an infinite number of, yep. of options. And at least I fall into this trap where I'm perfectionist. I want to find like that perfect niche of investing in general. Like, do I invest in, do I invest in, in duplexes? But if I invest in duplexes, do I do C areas for cash flow or do I A areas for appreciation yeah. or do I do student housing or how long do I keep them for? And if you think that way, it can be very paralyzing. And so he was talking about the exact same thing in regards to consulting programs. And essentially, he had this thought experiment where he said, if someone came up to you and put a gun to your head yeah. and said you had 10 seconds to pick your niche, what would it be? Calm down, pick something, and then start using that. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about psychology, how our brains are created to optimize things. So we see a problem, we automatically start thinking, how do we solve this problem? Because if we didn't, we wouldn't have survived back in the day. And so what he's saying is that if you pick a niche, first of all, it's impossible to pick the perfect niche. But if you just pick a niche and you start doing it, your brain will start to optimize within that specific niche. You know, let's say you pick duplexes. And you start doing duplexes and things aren't working out or you start having problems, you automatically start to optimize your processes and your systems in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. And people become millionaires investing in duplexes and flipping and multifamily. And so you can do really, really well in any niche. But the hardest part, at least from my perspective, is just picking one and just getting the ball rolling and starting down that road. And so I thought that thought experiment of, I mean, obviously it's difficult to know what it would actually be like gun yeah. to your head. But just imagine a gun to your head. And if you're having trouble making any sort of decision, whether it's what you're going to invest in or whether you get that deal or not get that deal. And obviously there's caveats to this. But if you're paralyzed and indecisive, think, what would you do if you had a gun to your head? If you had to choose in 10 seconds, make that decision, and then trust that you'll be able to optimize and figure it out along the way. And from listening to almost a thousand of your podcasts, that's like a consistent theme that a lot of the really, really successful investors have. They take action, like the Grant Cardone 10X week, they take action and they figure it out later, so to speak. Obviously, there's caveats to all this, but in general, that's what a lot of them do, and I thought that was an interesting thought experiment. I thought that the best of my listeners could learn a lot from that. Absolutely. There's power in being very narrowly focused. We tend to want to jump from thing to thing because it's safer to do so because when you jump from thing to thing, you're not committing to one and you aren't held as accountable as you would be if you were just committed to that one thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just a safer kind of weak way out. 
your general and not focus on one thing. One recommendation once you pick your niche is to talk to people who are in it mm -hmm. and doing it successfully and ask them pros and cons of being in this niche. Yeah. That will give you an idea of what the future holds and that will help you determine, okay, are you okay with the cons? Do the pros outweigh the cons in your eyes? Exactly. Finally, we will answer a best ever listener's question. Her name is Julianne. Julianne, you sent... Amazing question. Very detailed question. You sent a question that is as long as one of our book chapters. <laughs> We're going to paraphrase. <laughs> Essentially, she owns some properties. They're doing well. She's got good returns. And she has a question that I'm sure a lot of people have, which is, how do you know when to sell a property? Mm -hmm. So her specific question was, what parameters do you use to make the decision to sell an asset? Specifically, at what point do you decide it's more lucrative to sell than to keep the property as a rental? And her example is that if she's selling a property that has the potential to make $90,000 at the sale, and that same property is cash flowing, in this case, $20,000 a year, and so it would take around four to five years in order for her to make that same $90,000 that you make right now, how do you weigh those two against each other and determine when it makes sense to sell? The short answer is you have to know what your goals are. It depends on you as a person, mm -hmm. like what your plan is for the property. I can't answer it for someone else because I don't know what their individual goals are. Are they looking for a large chunk of money to then reinvest in something else via 1031 exchange because they've identified something? Or are they looking to cash out because the life circumstance happened? I don't think that's the case with her. Or else she would have mentioned, hey, I need to sell. That's pretty obvious. Ultimately, you need to know what does success look like for this acquisition? And what am I looking for? And that certainly can change mm -hmm. and probably will evolve over time. I don't have a clear-cut answer because I don't know what her goals are. And what I would guess, Julianne, is if you knew exactly what your goals were, then you wouldn't have the question. Mm -hmm. So really think about what are your goals, what are you looking to accomplish? I'm going to make an assumption because I do want to answer it a little bit more than just saying you got to know what your goals are. I'm going to assume that you just want to continue to maximize the investment and you don't need the cash right now. I don't know if that's true, but I'm just going to assume that. If you want to maximize the investment, then look at other opportunities and do a 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. So if you can sell it for a good amount of money, then look at other opportunities, do a 1031 exchange into another deal, defer the taxes, the capital gains into the next deal, and you can keep deferring that until you die, and then your kids can too, if you have any, and then their kids can. You can just keep doing it over and over again so you don't have to pay those, and you can keep increasing your size of property and the cash flow distributions that come out of it. I will also say that with real estate, the reason why we have a lot of best ever listeners, the reason why most self-made millionaires are real estate investors is because time's on our side. Mm -hmm. And if you don't need to sell, then don't sell unless you have a 1031 exchange option to go into. That would be my overarching advice. We don't want to get into the nasty cycle of flipping properties 
and then not having something to show for it other than cash, we really do want to acquire and build a kingdom of properties. So unless you're going to 1031 exchange into another deal, I wouldn't sell just because you have equity in it. If you need the access to equity, then there are ways to maybe refinance it, mm-hmm. pull out some equity, or do something else with it. Just to add a little more information, exactly what you're saying. She also said that she owns a property outright, so there's no mortgage on it. She had a concern about the 20% capital gains tax. If she didn't 1031 it, and she also said that right now she can't find any properties that meet her investment criteria, mm-hmm. so 1031 would be out of the picture. And so since she owns it outright, maybe that refinance would be a better option. But I guess you just so you can't find properties anyway. So yeah, there, there's I forget what the 1031 exchange thing is. Go to bestevershow.com, search 1031 exchange, and I'm sure this interview will come up. But there's a way to do a 1031 exchange where if you don't find the property, then you can get out of it. You just search for 1031 exchange. I wish I knew the episode off the top of my head, but after a thousand episodes, they all bleed, they all, they all bleed together. Um, go look up 1031 exchange. There's something that the takeaway is there's some sort of safeguard against selling it and not identifying the property and still having some sort of opportunity. And I interviewed a person about this and we talked about it in detail relatively recently, or just do a refinance and pull out some equity and then go get something else. I mean, the beautiful thing about doing cash out refinances is that money's not taxed Mm -hmm. because it's equity that you've already built in the property, so it's your money. And that was a beautiful surprise whenever I didn't know that and I did a (laughs) cash out refinance on my first single family house three and a half, four years ago. Yeah, it's time we realize you have to pay tax on certain things. It's like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, Yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. It's so rare. Yeah. All right, good, good stuff. Well, Theo, where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You guys can check out, I got a podcast and I started a YouTube channel. And so oh. all that information is on theohicks.org. Theohicks.org. And best ever listeners, if you want to read the transcription of this, then go to bestevershow.com and you'll be able to read through that. I'm proud of that because it's another way that we can go back and reference episodes because so many of these episodes are coming at us so quickly. And if you didn't have a chance to take notes on something, you just go to bestevershow.com and find that episode and then just read the transcript. We started doing that about a month or so ago. So a month ago plus moving forward, we'll have that. I think that's everything. So I hope you have the best ever weekend and we will talk to you soon. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Finally, your funding problem is 100% solved at CIX.com. At CIX.com, private lenders compete to fund deals. CIX facilitates over half a billion in loans for real estate investors weekly. Get funded and download your free funding kit at CIX.com.